Hey, everybody. Now, I know it was just last week that I kicked off the episode by making sure to say how much my guest that week inspired me and changed my life. Now, I don't want to sound like a broken record, and I certainly don't want to sound like I say this every damn time I introduce a guest on the show. I gotta say, this week's guest has also made a huge impact on my life, particularly by influencing all of the marathons and ultra marathons I've done, and how that decision I made in my journey has helped me transform the way that I look at things, not only in business, but most definitely in life and the quality of the relationships that I keep. Man, I I feel so lucky realizing that I get to have all of these amazing world-class people on the show. My heroes, if I'm honest, the people that have inspired myself, so many other people all over the world week after week. I get to talk to them, I get to pick their brains, I get to, to bounce off ideas. And I hope that you, my, my listeners, everyone out there who listens to this podcast are getting a ton of value out of these conversations. So, are you ready for this week? My guest is none other than the ultramarathon man himself, Dean Karnazes. And I think a lot of people, you know, they, they quantify every run and every run has got to have a purpose. Um, for me now, you know, the only purpose for a lot of my runs is just to run. If you get to watch the video version of this interview sometime in the future when it's up on my YouTube channel, you will see how my eyes literally light up talking to this outstanding human. Being as we share similar thoughts and disciplines around habits and what that takes to be effective and great, not just at running, but in life, I I was just so impressed by the, the simplicity of how Dean talks about things and how he doesn't overthink what he's created and just the humility of the man. We also dive into how the pandemic has affected his running career. I mean, it's affected all of us which I think we can relate to in in some form or another, regardless of what our career, business story or venture is and anything that we hold dear to us because the world has definitely changed as a result of COVID. A personal favorite of mine during the conversation was being able to relate my grandfather's story, which is another amazing running story in its own right. So I won't spoil that here. You can have a listen in a minute. And Dean will surprise you when he, one of the most well-known and most prolific runners in the field, in the history of running, says that he's not really that competitive. In fact, when I ask him his most successful running story, his answer will surprise you in the best way possible. But that's not all. Needless to say, if you stick around to the end of the interview, he will share what's next in his journey, which running enthusiasts or just people are big on mindset and heart set. And I think you'll surely appreciate and might even be mind blown by that as well. Yeah, I mean, I like to say that if I can't pick it from a tree, dig it from the earth or catch it with my hands, I don't need it. So there you go. I think I've said enough yet again for now. Another massive hero of mine on the show. Here he is to teach us that limitations are largely in our head. Mr. Dean Karnazes, welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. It is Nick here and welcome to Scale Up. I am delighted to have with me today someone that has inspired my life in so many ways over the last decade. I got into running and ultramarathon running after reading a book called Ultramarathon Man by a guy called Dean Karnazes. 
And I'm super delighted to say that that man is on the show today. So welcome to Scale Up Dean. Thanks for having me on, Nick. It's great to connect with you. Fantastic. And I was just saying before we press record that I was sitting on a beach in Santorini reading this. And, uh, and after that, I've now run 67 marathons, 24 ultra marathons, which is nothing compared to what you've done. But the stuff that I've got from that experience over my life has been amazing. So I just want to say thank you for that publicly while you're on the show today. I appreciate it. I never get, you know, people tell me that um, frequently and I never get tired of hearing it. I think that uh, we're a big running community and I think that running teaches you so many valuable lessons. And I honestly believe the world would be a better place if everyone ran just because it, you know, of the lessons you've learned, because it humbleizes you, because it makes you more human and it also makes you more resilient. Yeah, it's been for me, I think, you know, I didn't realize the power of it. Um, until I got into it. And I suppose the attraction after, and it was literally after reading, you know, this book of yours that was published back in 2006, I didn't realize that there were that, those so many feats of extraordinary endurance out there. Like, you know, I thought running a 10K race was done. I had run a marathon before back when I was 21, but I'd never realized that these 100 mile races existed. And, you know, you talk about the Western States and we'll get into that a little bit today as well. And for me, it was like, how the hell can someone do that? What does it take physically, mentally, emotionally to do it? And what I've found since, because I can look back now a decade later, is that it has given me grit, resilience, perseverance, all sorts of things that I've taken into all other areas of my life. Yeah, and it's very expansive as well. I, I just like you, the first time I heard about someone running a hundred miles, I thought there was trickery. Like I, you know, I thought that's impossible. <laughs> I, you know, I struggle to run one mile. Uh, you know, they're 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 stopping at hotels or they're getting in cars or something, or you know, or it's a it's a freak show of some sort. And when I ran out and ran, you know, when I went out and ran a hundred miles myself, I, you know, it it kind of teaches you that um, limitations are largely in your head. And, you know, when you do something extraordinary like that, um, it carries over to all elements of your life, as you said. And what was the, uh, what was the instigator for running for you? I mean, how did you discover it? <laughs> I got real drunk on my 30th birthday. <laughs> it was before that, wasn't it? I mean, I know there's the, the story of the, the long run when you're 30, which you'll get into and eating pizza through the night. But was there something before that? I read somewhere in one of your previous interviews that, you know, I think your, your mother or something expected you to be a priest. And then you ended up being an ultra marathon runner, <laughs> something like that. Well, I, I used to run home from, from school when I was uh, a young boy uh, because I was the oldest of three children. And I could sense when my, my mother had um, the young, our, you know, her, our daughter, her youngest child, that she was struggling getting me home from school. And this is, you know, kindergarten. So I just told her I'd start running home uh, to, you know, to spare her the, the, you know, extra hassle of having to pick me up. And I found I loved it. I, I really loved the discipline of running. Uh, you know, I couldn't sit still as a kid in class. I mean, what kid can? You know, we tell kids, young boys especially, to sit still and pay attention. And, you know, every young boy wants to run wild and not pay attention. So I remember just having that, you know, like kind of gridiron discipline to sit through class. And when the bell rang, I was just free to wander. And I, I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I used to go to church with my parents. They, they were amazed that I'd go to church with them. And I, didn't, I wasn't that interested in the sermon, actually, because I couldn't understand it. I was, you know, five years old, and a lot of it was in Greek. <laughs> okay. But what really interested me is that, you know, uh, when you get a Greek Orthodox priest going, you know, it's an endurance event. I mean, you know, he, he, he'd be up there for three hours, and I'd look to my left and look to my right, and people would be collapsing in the pews, 
And I just, you know, I just forced myself to pay attention and not to fall asleep. And I just remember having that rigid discipline uh, that was kind of a challenge for me. And I think my mom interpreted that as, as great interest in becoming a priest, but really it was more about just getting through this ordeal and coming out the other end. <laughs> Have you reflected on where that came from? Because, you know, the, that, that resilience grid, obviously, you've taken to all other areas as well as running, but was it someone in your family at a young age that inspired you? I, I think it was perhaps my grandfather, who was uh, from Greece, and he was a very athletic man. That's one thing I remember is just he used to do push-ups. He used to put me on his back and do push-ups. He would, he would jog. You know, this is, you know, back before running was a craze. And I just was so impressed with the fact that he didn't have to do these things. You know, this was America. He owned a car, but he just very much valued physical excellence. And for some reason, that just carried over to me. I mean, my parents, you know, they're, they were hippies. <laughs> you know, they're flower children of the 60s. And so they weren't very disciplined at all. I mean, there were no rules in our house, but I imposed these rules upon myself. And I think it was largely because of my grandfather. Yeah, interesting. I mean, my grandfather was a major influence on me. I mentioned before I ran a marathon when I was in my early 20s. You can't really see on the wall, but sort of just up there, there's a picture of a guy um, running a marathon in Adelaide, South Australia. And he's literally in his 50s, and he's the first Australian to run a marathon after double bypass surgery. And that's my grandfather. Um, so, yeah, so I remember I was 10 years of age on the finish line when that happened. So it was 1984. And I remember him coming over in just over four hours, actually, which I thought was pretty damn good <laughs> considering his age and, and the heart. But that, that perseverance and also the fact that everyone told him that he'd probably die, I remember stayed with me and that inspired me to, to, to be fit, not you know the marathon stuff that came later with your book, but certainly to keep fit and healthy came from that uh, at an early age as well. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And you know what else is amazing is uh, the Adelaide Marathon, I think it was just last weekend. It's still going strong. Was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that makes sense because, again, my birthday, uh, yeah, that's right. So I was, it was actually on the day I was 10 years of age. Yeah, so that would make sense. There you go. And so you were in Australia most recently. So, so as I said, I'd be gentle with you today because I know what the jet lag is from <laughs> flying around the world. Uh, what, was, what was that trip about, Dean? Yeah, it was a, a trip to run uh, a thousand miles over the course of 10 days with a team of uh, four Americans. So a gentleman by the name of Pat Farmer, who's somewhat of a, a legendary figure in Australia. Yes. He's an ultra marathoner and a great adventurer. I mean, he's run from the North Pole to the South Pole. Uh, he had contacted me about nine months ago and said, I want to organize a run across Australia. And I used to live in Australia. I was in the, an exchange student in high school and lived in Sydney. And I, I really love Australia. I've been back many times. And it just, it, you know, it fascinated me running from uh, Perth to Byron Bay, the easternmost point of Australia. So, so you ran, was that a relay or did you each all run it? It was going to be a four person relay. So we'd run 100 miles a day. Each, each of the athletes would run 25 miles uh, per day, yeah, carrying a, a, an Aboriginal message stick. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how it started, Nick. Uh, midway through, you know, the, the pandemic worsened. He said, okay, we can't, we can't run across Australia. Let's run across New South Wales. We'll run from Broken Hill to Byron Bay. And we'll call it a thousand miles to light because it's a thousand mile run. It'll be 10 days. 
Each team will cover 100 miles a day. So each of the runners will cover 25 miles a day for 10 days straight. And that was the plan going into it. And we had a quarantine for two weeks, the American team on entry. Midway through quarantine, we get a call from Pat and said, <laughs> we can't even run across New South Wales now. The, you know, the, the situation is getting pretty bad in Australia. Uh, so we'll just run within the Singleton military base in the Hunter Valley, uh, you know, on the central coast. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to predict where this is going. Don't tell me you ran around the barrier of a base. We ran around, yep, the barrier of a military base. Uh, but thankfully, it's a big military base, and there was 10 different routes, but that's exactly what we did. We ran uh, 5K routes for 10 days, e each runner covering 25 miles each day, and it, was, uh, it ended up working out really, really well because the, the base is large, but it wasn't what we anticipated <laughs> going into it. No, well, I remember, I mean, your book that's, um, well, I, I received a copy of this a few weeks ago, um, A Runner's High, and it is fabulous. And I want to get into some of the stuff in that, probably for my own um, personal reasons more than anything else. But I remember in the last chapter, you talk about you had a big sort of race plan scheduled for 2020, and then everything sort of had to stop. And, you know, I think none of us predicted exactly what that meant. But um, how, have you, how have you reacted to that personally in terms of, because I know you're so active in the community of running, but also how have you tried to, I suppose, motivate, inspire people who have maybe found it very difficult not to be able to do the races that they'd planned and have the life and the experiences they expected? Yeah, I mean, COVID for me has been devastating just because I made my livelihood on, you know, traveling to events, um, to running yeah. events. You know, nearly every weekend I was traveling to, an event of some size to either participate or to, you know, work in one of my sponsor's booths to do like an appearance or a signing or do a book signing. And, you know, COVID ended all of that. And it, it still has ended. <laughs> you know, we, we thought uh, we got a handle on things and then the Delta strain popped up and, you know, there are no more, you know, the events are being canceled left and right again. So I had a really um, course, you know, course correct and, um, you know, reevaluate how I was going to make an income given that I couldn't attend events. So it's been a lot of hustle on my behalf. And yeah. you know, I certainly feel for people that are in the same sort of position I'm in. You know, the COVID has been really divisive as far as uh, a business perspective. I mean, some businesses have boomed. Um, you know, just the industry of running has boomed. So running manufacturers are selling more running shoes, more running apparel, um, more running equipment than ever. But the event, um, you know, event directors, race directors uh, are struggling because they can no longer hold organized events. Uh, and it's, it's just been really tough for certain segments of, um, of the population. Yeah. And I, and I found that myself personally, I was doing a lot more virtual things, which were interesting, right? You know, um, but it's not the same. <laughs> the same as turning up. And I used to do a lot of travel running. So like I would fly from here to Vermont and run the 100K and stuff like that. And just the whole experience to go away for two weeks and do something like that was amazing. So, yeah, it's been challenging. But, but for you personally, I think, you know, your, your sort of resilience and grit and all that sort of stuff, I mean, and, and a level of adaption, which I'll get into a little bit as well. Um, what were some of the things that you've done over the last year? Have you done, I'm particularly you've done a lot more running by yourself? <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've really uh, reevaluated reevaluated my relationship with running. I think a lot of people have because when racing went away, you know, all of a sudden we were left with, wow, you know, why, why, why am I measuring and monitoring every run? You know, why am I following a specific training block when there's no race coming up? 
So I've learned to, you know, to love running for nothing other than the joy of running. You know, I've learned to make running play and yep. view it as, as play, as adult play, if you will. And just to enjoy running for nothing other than running itself. And I think a lot of people, you know, they, they quantify every run. Every run has got to have a purpose. Um, for me now, you know, the only purpose for a lot of my runs is just to run. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I think that's the thing that can sometimes be lost a little bit with fancy GPS watches and, and you know, data and all this sort of stuff. You know, technology takes over a lot, but the actual joy of just getting out there and running without a watch and just kind of going for it. Are you running, are you running more now? I mean, you're obviously running differently than how you've run previously, but what, what's your schedule like these days? Yeah, I am running more. I'm, um, you know, I'm really mixing up my running. So a lot of days I'll go out and run a shorter uh, distance, you know, maybe a, a 10K. Okay. I thought you were going to say 50K or something for a second there, but no, 10K, we'll take that. Yeah, 10K, <laughs> but um, uh, at my max heart rate with, uh, without breathing through my mouth. So only breathing through my nose. I've been experimenting with nose breathing. Okay. And I mean, that really revs up your heart rate. I mean, the last run I did yesterday... Uh, just to get over some of the jet lag. I mean, my heart rate was at 210. Wow. Pretty high, especially, you know, I'm, I'm not a young man anymore. And to get my heart rate up that high is, um, is a remarkable. But I'm doing that mainly through um, nose breathing. And then, you know, like today, uh, I haven't run yet, just because <laughs> I'm still on Australian time. But uh, this afternoon, I'll probably go for a, you know, a, a 20 or 25 mile run, just at real slow, like, you know, four hours kind of thing. Yeah, still pretty damn good. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the premise behind a runner's high here, because it's a great, I mean, it's obviously about your, you know, going back to, to the 2018 uh, Western States 100. Um, and I love the fact that your son is crewing you in this. But one, one of the things that really jumps out to me, this is more of a memoir in many cases. I love the fact that it goes backwards and forwards and that. What have you discovered, you know, over, over a lifetime of running particularly just around how things are now with, you know, your physiology. We talked a little bit about the mindset of changing and being more freedom, but how have you managed to be so sustainable for so many years and so many miles? You know, I, I view myself through the lens of trying to be the best animal that I can be. So okay. everything I do is revolves around being, you know, the, the, the best athlete um, beast that Dean can be. And that means, you know, my training, my cross training, I do a ton of cross training. Uh, it means, you know, I, I have a commitment not to sit down at all. Once I get out of bed, I don't sit until I lay back down at night to go to sleep. So even now you can tell, you know, I'm on my feet. I'm Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Mr. Stand Up Desk guy as well, but that made a big difference to me because I'm mean, sitting just isn't good. So I, I'm just really curious to delve into this. So you're active all day. So standing all day, keep going. Yeah, so I and I do hit training throughout the course of the day. So I have a yep. hit training routine that's about twelve to fourteen minutes, and it's it's all with uh, body weight. Uh, so you know, push ups, pull ups, sit ups, um, chair dips, and and burpees. And so I cycle through that about you know four or five times a day. I'll, I'll jump wow. Jump so you, so you're doing like just to, just to be super clear here, you're doing three to four mini training blocks of say quarter of an hour throughout the yeah. day throughout the day yep like wow and that's not it that doesn't include and then you've got the running on top of all this got the running on top of that yeah wow and what about diet then diet sleep let's go through the full gamut now because you've started this so 
Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, you know, diets, um, you know, I'll never live down the story of ordering pizza, you know, while I was out on a 200 mile race <laughs> and having it delivered to me roadside. Uh, Love that I, story. I don't do that anymore, really. I mean, it's kind of a gag. Like anywhere I go in the world, if I do a group run, inevitably someone just as a gag orders pizza. So even if it's like a 5K fun uh -huh. run, in, you know, in Portugal, we'll come around the corner. Oh, that is hilarious. I can imagine that some dude dressed up in a Domino's pizza thing just to, <laughs> just to tease you. I, I did. I have to say, just to interject again, I did try the eating pizza thing during a hundred mile race once. And it was a stupid decision. I, <laughs> I ended up having to go to watermelon and, and gels after that, but I, I had at least 20 miles where it wasn't pleasant. We'll leave it at that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, listen, that's okay. Got to try these things out. I don't blame you. The rest, the rest of everything else that you inspired me to do is, is up there. So that's cool. So, so how do you eat now then? So are you a sort of more paleo type or do you have a preference to those sort of things? Yeah, I mean, I like to say that if I can't pick it from a tree, dig it from the earth or catch it with my hands, I, I don't eat it. Nice. Got it. Nothing processed, nothing refined, nothing in a bag. You know, I have a mentor. He's a guy named Jack LaLanne, who is like the original fitness guru in the U.S. I mean, he predated like Arnold Schwarzenegger and all those guys. And he told me, he said, Dean, if man makes it, don't eat it. And if it tastes good, spit it out. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> Oh, God. And have you found, though, in the transition of, you know, the pizza story, which I'm sure is more embellished than anything, but um, at what point did you notice a change, let's say, in either your performance, physiology, emotional state that thought, you know, I need to be more intentional about this? Yeah, when I got into my 40s, I started having, you know, peaks and troughs in my energy levels throughout the course of the day. So I'd, you know, I'd, I'd have a, you know, breakfast cereal, I'd have cereal for breakfast, and I realized, uh, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes later, I was, I was kind of having a low. And I thought it was just, oh, that's just kind of the grogginess of the cotton, the morning coffee wearing off and so forth. And, and then I cut back on my cereal intake, and I stopped having the low. And I realized it was largely because of what I was putting in my mouth. So then I just started self-selecting foods that, you know, left me feeling energetic. I'd include and any foods that left me feeling lethargic, I'd just cut from my diet. And I naturally arrived at this kind of, you know, paleo diet. I, I realized that anything processed or refined, you know, any sort of grain, any breads, any pastas, any, you know, even rice uh, just left me feeling really lethargic. So I cut those out of my diet. And that's kind of how I arrived at the at my current state of um, nutrition. Yeah, it's funny how people kind of come to that. I'm similar to you in that respect. You know, I tend to not have anything. I don't have sugar or anything processed. And I found that I was I was struggling with big knee issues and arthritis from the running. Um, you know, well, my level of running. And um, and I found that after I stopped having grains and things like that, the inflammation went away. Um, and incredible, actually, just the effect it has on your body. And what, what about um, things like sleep and anything else outside of diet and exercise that you have as part of your routine? Yeah, you know, the other thing is I was kind of famous for only sleeping four or five hours a night, yeah. which I used to do. And I think I was just getting by on it. I don't think it was optimal. And now I'm sleeping between seven and eight hours a night, and my sleep quality is much better. Um, you know, thankfully, I have the luxury of, uh, mostly not having to rise at any certain time. So I let my body just wake when it does versus wake to an alarm. And I think that that has changed uh, a lot with, with the quality of my sleep. 
I think a lot of your really deep, good quality sleep occurs, you know, at the later stages of, of your sleep cycle. And that's when I was typically, you know, setting an alarm or forcing myself to get up. And that was really disruptive. So now uh, I let my body, um, you know, rise when it does. And it typically comes out to about seven or eight hours a night. And it's really good quality sleep. There you go. Some peak performance tips from Dean Karnazes, which is good, actually. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing that, I mean, I think a lot of athletes overlook is your interpersonal relationships. Mm. I really work to, you know, have harmonious interpersonal relationships. I think that uh, when you have harmonious interpersonal relationships with your, you know, your friends, your family, your colleagues, uh, your performance is better. Everything is better. And just the opposite is true. If you have a lot of discord in your life, it's disruptive um, to your performance. So I've really looked at my relationships and optimizing those as well. Do you do anything like meditation or anything for your mental state as well? I've, I've tried. I, you know, I can't, I, I, I only meditate when I'm moving. Um, so when I'm running, I can meditate really well. <laughs> Was well, running, probably the other way of answering the question is, is running a form of meditation for you? Absolutely. It's the only time where I'm in the here and now, you know, in the present moment of time, but when I'm running. Um, I can, you know, either bring my mind back to the here and now or, uh, or let it wander freely. But um, it's very meditative to me. I, I can't sit still when I try to meditate. Uh, it just it doesn't work. Yeah, no, I, I found the same thing, actually. I try and do it because I find I'm better when I do do it. But I think for the years of running that I've done, um, for me, it is meditative. I don't I don't listen to music or anything. I tend to just go out and see where, where things take me. And I also try not to run to a schedule. I've never been one of these people who's, um, you know, run to a program, which probably means why I haven't sort of done sub three hour marathons, but, but I've actually just enjoyed running on trails and things more than I have trying to compete. But how do you balance that? Because, you know, and it, it kind of draws a little bit onto the book as well, because, you know, if your attitude to running has changed, are you still as competitive or is it a different type of competition? I think it's changed completely. My, you know, I was never really competitive <clears throat> and I write about this in the book. I mean, I, there, <clears throat> there was only one race where I really set out to, to win it. And that was the, uh, the Badwater ultra marathon. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nick. So that, you know, I, I've never been super competitive. I, you know, I always stand on the starting line saying, um, you know, today I'm going to be the best Dean that Dean can be. And, you know, that's the attitude I've had uh, with every race I go into. And I think that's largely why I have such longevity in the sport. I think a lot of people burn out because they're highly competitive. And when they can't compete at the level they once did, um, they lose interest. Where yeah. for me, uh, you know, I've always just said, I'm getting older and be the best version of you that you can be. Um, and, you know, as, as you go through the cycles of life. Yeah, following your, um, you know, the different things that you've done you know, the 50 races, 50, sorry, 50 uh, marathons across 50 states and all that sort of stuff. And, and some of the other crazy things that I love. Um, I've noticed that the longevity is the thing that jumps out to me because, you know, you see, particularly in the ultra running scene, you see, you know, some people who come in really quickly and they do really well, really quickly. And I think, yeah, people like Anton Kropitschka and people like that, who kind of, you know, there's a movie made and then all of a sudden they have injuries and they seem to sort of go away, even though he's come back. And I had Zach Bitter on the show a few weeks back as well. And I asked him the same question. What is it about that? Is it, is it just the fact that people are going out there relentlessly to win? But there seems like a lot of people who come in quick and then disappear quick, particularly in the ultra, in the ultra marathon distance. Well, you know, the, I mean, the, the thing is, um, you know, you're, you're not young forever. And yeah. there are 
there's always going to be someone coming up through the ranks that's younger and faster and stronger. <clears throat> and how do you, you know, how do you maintain yourself in the sport? How do you maintain your relevance? Um, it can't, you know, for me, it's been through writing books. It can't be just through running because you're never going to be, you know, on top of the podium um, year after year. No, exactly. But your, but the thing that just strikes me with you particularly is the longevity, which I'm unpacking a little bit by just seeing how you think about things. But the more I, I, I sort of listen to how you've answered the various questions today, it's more about your mindset and your approach. So, you know, it doesn't feel like, well, again, correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't sound like you're getting massively worked up about it. You're, you're enjoying the whole thing, enjoying the process. And that, that level of kind of how you've managed that seems to be one of the secrets to how you've been able to do this at such a high level for so long. I, I did a lot of running um, in Australia before I came over to the UK and, and it is, I mean, you get the dry heat and then you get the moist heat and there's a lot of different climate changes that happen even in the same States. So, you know, unless you're, unless you're acclimatized to that, it's difficult. So, yeah. So what I was saying beforehand is like the, the, your approach to running, the mindset that you have into it, which I think is quite unique. Certainly it doesn't, it, it's not to say you're not competitive, but you tend to approach it in a more, how do I put this? If it, it feels more in flow, more easygoing perhaps than others who have also been successful, but just not for as long as you have. Yeah. I think, I think it's just being real, um, not having expectations that are, uh, you know, untrue or, uh, you know, egotistical, if you will. Yeah. And that's right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I want to be one of those guys that, you know, 70, 80 years old, showing up at ultra marathon, still running hundred miles. That's, that's my goal. At this point. I, mean, I want to be that guy that just doesn't go away. Like, oh, there's that, there's Carnassus again. He's. Uh, you're going to annoy everyone. Then Jim Wonsley's going to turn up and say, oh, there's, there's this guy. And one day you might, you know what might happen, Dean? You might turn up to Western States again, and you might just blow the field away. And you know, <laughs> but you know this, the book which I love, right? And and it's the thing about this is like when people come on the show and I get different books, I like to kind of read the book quickly so I understand what it's about. But this, I'm slow reading because <laughs> I'm enjoying it. And the thing for me is like obviously going back to Western States in 2018, totally different experience. And you talk about this in the book, particularly with you know your son there and all that sort of thing. But just take us through. What was the thing behind writing this book? What was the 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 the, uh, the origination of the idea for this? Yeah, I mean, you you know, in the introduction, you talked about my first book, Ultra Marathon Man, which was kind of a coming of age book, which was learning about these crazy, you know, ultra marathons, these hundred mile foot races, and you know, runners high is, you know, two and a half decades later, uh, how how am I still doing it, and why am I still doing it, and uh, how am I still doing it? So uh, I just thought it was um, kind of a nice bookend to Ultra Marathon Man, almost like a sequel and, you know, giving a, people a glimpse into what happens to an ultra marathon or, or any human, if you will, over the course of 25 years or any athlete. And that was kind of the impetus for this book. Uh, but I also wanted, to, you know, I wanted to make it fun and readable and um, propulsive. I wanted to be a book that was kind of a page turner. And I wanted to give people that are not necessarily um, huge ultra marathoners a glimpse into what it's like to run an ultra marathon, to kind of put them in in my shoes or our shoes, if you will. Yes. And, and kind of you know go through the highs, the lows, you know, and everything else that happens during an ultra marathon. So well, it's kind of you do it you do it in both books, but but it's quite it's quite interesting. When I was reading this one. Um, it was, it was kind of like giving me permission <laughs> to, to slow down a bit as I'm 47. But I think about my sort of 
10 to 15 years of running, like, you know, I had some great races, you know, seven or eight years ago, but they're not the same anymore. But when I read this, it was like, ah, finally this guy who's, you know, run across America and done all these things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of more humanity, dare I say it, in this. You know, not to say that you didn't write about that beforehand, but that you can see there's the transition of you getting older and how you're approaching that. And I love that about the book. That's my favorite part of it. That's my favorite thing about it, actually. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, it's been a bestseller, so it always makes me happy. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the running book genre is um, there, there's a lot of running books out there that are not so great, including some of mine. I mean, I, I read some of my previous books. And I cringe at the writing, but I think I've, I've developed uh, as a writer as well. So I think the writing in this book is better than my previous books. Yeah, no, it's a great, I, I'm definitely going to recommend that anyone who's listening to this, even if you're not into running, well, actually, let, let me put a warning. If you're not into running, be aware that if you read the book, you might get into running. <laughs> but that's I not about- I got a message from a guy just the other day and he said, um, you know, I, I intended to read a couple chapters of your book before going to sleep. And he said- Six hours later, I finished the last page and then I got up and I just had to go for a run. And I thought, oh, that, that's great. I, the, the book worked. Yeah, exactly. You've inspired it. So let me just ask you a few questions just just generally about like, you know, what has been a career in running. But I want to go a little bit more into the, the stuff that you've made happen, if you like, as a result of your passion for running. So what's what's been, you know, out of all the things that you've achieved and all the different stuff, what's what's one thing that stands out to you that has maybe inspired you the most that what you've created from, you know, a life in this in this endeavor? You know, it's funny. I mean, when I reflect back on everything I've done and I've run on all seven continents twice now, you know, I've run, as you know, across the hottest place on Earth, Death Valley, and I've run a marathon to the South Pole, the coldest place on Earth. But, you know, my, my most crowning achievement, I think, was running a, a 10 kilometer race with my daughter, Alexandria, on her 10th birthday. And that was just a, a moment that uh, I'll never forget because, uh, you know, I, you don't really know your kids until you see them in a different light. And she wanted to run this 10K on her 10th birthday. And I thought, wow, that's a long way for a 10 year old. And, you know, at mile, at mile five, at 10K, 6.2 miles, um, at mile five, uh, she was really struggling. And I thought, oh, man, this is not going to end well. And she was hurting. And I, I was about to turn to her and say, Alexandria, you know, we can stop. I'm so proud of you for trying. And we can do a 10K some other time. And right when I was going to say that to her, she looked at me. She said, Dad, let's do this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> took off like a <laughs> rocket. And I could barely keep up with her. And she's yeah we were i just remember sprinting past people and they were just amazed at this little girl running you know to the to the finish line and i, I love that she's really a different person than what i give her credit for yeah do you reflect sometimes on the impact you've made on your children you know from them watching from the sidelines and and what's the what's the lesson that you've learned i suppose from your kids that you know from what they've given you after they've watched what you've achieved you know, my kids have always known me as an ultra marathoner. So I don't okay. know if they've, they've always, that's just been dad. I mean, I'm, I remember dropping off my son one time uh, at school when he was a young boy. And, you know, I, I handed him to the teacher's assistant who'd come out to kind of the, the curbside to, to take him in the, into the classroom. And I kind of struggled to get up the curb. And I gave him to the teacher's assistant and they were walking away. And I heard the teacher's assistant say to Nicholas, uh, is your dad okay? And Nicholas kind of just nonchalantly said, oh, yeah, he just ran 100 miles yesterday. He's fine. And the teacher assistant just went 
silent. And I thought, <laughs> he probably thought, you know, this little kid's got a, a vivid imagination. Yeah, sure. Well, miles, and, then, you know. and then you just handed him the book. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there must be like, a, have you seen now, particularly as your kids are getting older, a, a level of tenacity, grit, resilience, um, stuff that they might have just mirrored from you from just watching you do this for years? Uh, absolutely. I mean, both my kids are, are the hardest workers. And, you know, we hear about this younger generation being lazy. I, I, can't, I can't express how energetic my kids are. Um, not at running. I mean, in business. Uh, you know, they've both taken on jobs that they were really unqualified for and just had to hustle uh, to hold their own. And I've seen them just work tirelessly. And it, it, I, I just see some of that same ultra marathoning mindset, you know, that, that kind of discipline, that grittiness, that, you know, never say stop mentality. Uh, and they're applying it in every day in their life. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that's, I, I, and I think there is that. Sometimes it's the stuff that, you know, isn't spoken about. Like, you know, it's the stuff that people just, you know, kids observe. They see you doing and then they, then they think that that's, you know, something that they then take on, like I mentioned with my grandfather beforehand. Absolutely. And what's, what, you know, as you look back, you know, and I'm not saying this is the end because I'm going to ask you the question forward as well, but as you look back and you think about the impact you've made broadly, not just in the world of running, you know, because you've done so many things that have influenced the world of sport and athletics, is there anything there that strikes you as being, you know, your proudest moment? You know, I think it's, it's influencing kids. I mean, I've got literally thousands if not tens of thousands of handwritten letters from kids <laughs> wow really literally in my garage i mean it, and this is not even the the emails or the you know the digital messages i've received but from kids saying how much um i've influenced them and how much they now love to run and to me nothing makes me prouder i mean there's no greater reward to me than having a kid say you know, you changed my life. Um, I read about you and uh, I'm a runner now and uh, thank you. Wow. And, and I take it, you know, if you think about that from a legacy perspective, did you think, you know, what you want your legacy to be? Have you, have you ever sort of had that reflection? I don't know if I'm worthy of a legacy. Oh, oh, you know, I told you I'd embarrass you. Come on. I haven't even read out all the stuff you've done. I'm going to save that for when you're not around because I could tell that you probably go, ah. But, you know, you've, you've made a massive difference to a lot of people, myself included. So you must have thought, you know, there, there's going to be a legacy of Dean Karnazes. <laughs> there is. Well, I mean, you, you, you get what you see with Dean. You know, you're, you're talking to the, the genuine article. I mean, you're never going to learn about any, you know, skeletons in my closet or anything, anything else. <clears throat> I am what I am. And, you know, I, I, I just love running. And I've made a career out of it somehow. And I've followed my heart, followed my dreams. And in a, in, in, in a big sort of way, they've come true. Yeah, amen to that. At the end of the race in Australia, I was talking to one of the Australians. And they said, you know, wow, that was amazing. You've done so much in your life. And I, I kind of said, you know what? If I was to die on this last day, I'd die with a smile on my face. I could go out right now and I'd be so satisfied with, with the way my life has turned out. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, again, just to draw a line under that for people listening to this, that, you know, a lot of people are always chasing the next thing and they're not appreciative of what they've got right now, you know, with gratitude or they're not present in the moment. And there are two things that, again, strike me with you. A, a gratitude for everything you've got and what you've achieved. 
but also the presence, you know, as you, as you spoke about beforehand, to be able to be sustainable in a, a sport which isn't always sustainable. So last question for you, Dean. Um, what's next? What's next on the plan? <laughs> Either racing scheduled runs or whatever, but also projects, anything that's um, big that you're working on? <laughs> Funny you should ask. So uh, in uh, about five days, I'm heading to Greece <clears throat> to run okay. uh, 10, 10 marathons in 10 days to uh, commemorate the bicentennial of Greek independence. Uh, so that's what's on the immediate calendar. And then after that, I'm, I'm planning uh, to do this run from the lowest point on earth to the highest point on earth. So from the Dead Sea to the top of Mount Everest. And I think wow. my crowning achievement. Yeah, if I can pull that one off. So when you say the top of Mount Everest, are we talking about just the, the height or are you actually talking about the top of Mount Everest, like base camp or something? No, I'm talking, and I said run. I mean, obviously you don't run to the top of Mount Everest. So the, you know, the, from the base camp to the top of the, the mountain will be a, more of a hike. But I mean, literally from the lowest point to the highest point. So standing on the top of Everest, uh, as the finish line. How far is that? That's a, that's a <laughs> question. Because I'm trying to work. I'm just trying to work out logistics in my head here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's quicker. There's a quicker route because you've got to go through Iraq and Iran. So, um, you know, can that be pulled off? Uh, I'm still working on the logistics, but, um, you know, it could be, uh, between 3,500 miles to almost 6,500 miles, depending on uh, which way you go. Incredible. Incredible. Um, so, you know, I wasn't expecting you to say that you were going to hang up your, uh, your golden running shoes and, uh, and, and sit on a beach, <laughs> but I also wasn't expecting something like that. So what we're saying here is the crowning achievement of the stuff you're doing is still to come. It certainly isn't looking backwards. I never stop exploring. Love it. All right, Dean, listen, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for giving us your time and uh, particularly in your um, state of, uh, you know, traveling from Australia and jet lagness and all that stuff. Um, it's been an absolute delight. Where can people find you? Um, obviously, I'm going to say go and get this book because it's an amazing read. But if they want to reach out to you in any other way, how can they do that? I mean, just Google Dean. Someone told me if you Google Dean, I'm the first person that comes up. I think that's true. My last name's Carnassus, but you know I've got a website. I'm uh, I'm on social media, so I'm not easy, I'm I'm not hard to find. Yeah, I think it's uh, something like at Ultra Marathon Man or something on Instagram as well. So if you just Google Dean Ultra Marathon, actually I think you're right. If you just put Dean into a Google search, you're probably the first person to come up. A little bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger in in sort of weightlifting. <laughs> All right, listen, thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. And as I said, it, and, and on a personal note, you know, to be able to have someone who's had such an amazing impact on my life to come onto the show, one of the reasons I love doing this as well. So thank you so much, sir. Thanks for having me on, Nick. And uh, I hope one day we can share some footsteps together. I hope that too. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.